Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Sometimes, in the true crime community, some creeps, not all you fine feathered folks, like to justify or rationalize why someone's life is lost. They did this, so they deserved it. They weren't an angel, so why is it a surprise? So on and so on. Creeps, we don't play God. We don't decide who is and isn't worthy of life. We don't decide that a slight that's been levied against us is deserving of revenge. Today, you are going to learn the names of Sidney and Tammy Moore, and you are going to see what revenge gets you. You are going to learn that we don't get to decide who is and isn't worthy of life. We aren't those types of creeps. We aren't a Tammy or Sydney, and if you are, well, you may as well unsubscribe because I don't represent you. I don't agree with you, and I don't want you here. Now that they're all gone, let me introduce you to Heather Rachel Elvis. Heather Elvis was born in Horry County, South Carolina on June 24, 1993. She was a creative and beautiful young woman who was generally perceived to be a people's person who easily endeared herself to others. But like all of us in life, especially those growing and learning and falling into ourselves and who we are going to be as adults, Heather made mistakes. Leading up to Heather's disappearance, she was dating a man 18 years older than her, and Sidney Moore, the man who Heather was dating, was also married. And Tammy Moore, Sidney's wife, was not the most stable person, or someone who would get my sympathy, and you're about to see why. Heather Elvis graduated high school in 2011 and went to work as a waitress in Myrtle Beach at the Tilted Kilt, as well as the House of Blues in North Myrtle Beach. Both jobs would have afforded her a comfortable income. Those are the kind of jobs you'd take if you were saving up for something more in life. After getting a job, she moved into an apartment and gained the independence that anyone fresh out of high school craves. Her apartment was in Carolina Forest, and she moved in with her best friend and new roommate, Brianna Warman, who also worked with Heather at the Tilted Kilt. It was June 2013 when the trouble began. Heather Elvis had come into work, wearing her tiny revealing pleated tartan kilt and her tiny white top, the infamous uniform worn by the waitresses at the Tilted Kilt. She took her tables and placed her orders, and the shift was going by like any other shift would have. Some good, some bad. But on that day, Sydney Moore came in to repair some of the kitchen equipment. Sydney Moore was a Myrtle Beach local who ran and owned his own business called Palometto Maintenance, 
which would provide maintenance and repair services on industrial kitchen equipment in restaurants in the Myrtle Beach area. Let me repeat something. Sydney Moore was 18 years older than Heather. She was 20, and Sydney was 38. But that didn't bother Heather. In fact, it seems she relished in the fact he was older. Heather was active on social media, and it appeared from her Twitter that Heather was instantly taken with Sydney Moore. In one tweet, she said, I gots a taste for men who are older. In another, she stated, At Sexy Brook, I work at House of Blues, but I'll be there to get food later. Also, Sydney will be there tonight, so you know I gotta make an appearance. In another tweet, she wrote, in all caps, One of these days I will drag that man into the mop closet and have my way with him. Lord have mercy. And in one more example, she tweeted, The guy who builds things at my job makes me cream myself. Hashtag wet dreams tonight. So it's needless to say that Heather and Sydney began flirting. And when there is that established attraction, it's no surprise that that flirting progresses into something more serious, especially as days and little tweets turned into a weeks-long relationship. Heather Elvis even took that most serious of steps when she changed her Facebook status to in a relationship. But unlike most affairs, which are usually clandestine operations, where both parties skulk around in the night, afraid of discovery, hiding their Romeo and Juliet-esque forbidden love, Sydney and Heather were, well, very out in the open about their affair. Sydney would come by at lunchtime while Heather Elvis was working and take her lunch, which co-workers told police would consist of bagels and cream cheese. And Sidney went so far as to express to his friends how good of an idea he thought it would be to hire Heather as a nanny for Tammy and his children. But the flash flood relationship ended as abruptly as it began. And by mid-September, Heather and Sidney were no longer together. So to express her disappointment and resentment, Heather Elvis took to her favorite form of expression and wrote another tweet. Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well. It seemed they had gotten away with their affair, and while Heather shouldered some blame for partaking as she knew Sidney was a married man, Sidney Moore, who was the married man, was the one who should have shouldered the majority of the responsibility. So, thankfully for him, things ended without incident. That is, until Tammy Moore found out about the relationship after the two had already separated. And she certainly wasn't happy about it. But instead of directing her wrath at Sydney like a rational person would assume would be the most cathartic and satisfying release of her pent-up anger and disappointment, no, Tammy took to endlessly harassing Heather. Heather Elvis, a young girl who made a mistake like any other person does in their life, Heather, who never maliciously hurt or harmed anyone and was well-liked. Tammy started with forcing Sydney to call Heather and verbally abuse her while she listened. Brianna, Heather's roommate, was present for the call and stated that he said things such as, she meant nothing to him, she was just an easy lay, someone who would spread her legs for him, and so on, and so on. 
But that wasn't enough for Tammy, who was a full-grown woman and should have known better. Tammy Moore began sending Heather texts and pictures of herself and Sydney having sex over and over. Then Heather's hours were reduced at work because, of course, you guessed it, Tammy began harassing the tilted kilt, telling them that Heather was a homewrecker and that as long as Heather was employed by them, Sydney would not come and repair their kitchen equipment. So the tilted kilt cut back her hours. Tammy then put a password on Sydney's phone so that only she could have access to it, and she used it to text Heather endlessly and without fatigue day and night. Sydney Moore would be handcuffed to the bed every night at bedtime so that Tammy would know he wasn't going anywhere. And Sydney wasn't allowed to leave the home unaccompanied. Tammy went everywhere that Sydney went. Sydney was even forced to, well, not forced to, but strongly suggested to, and he relented in getting a tattoo of Tammy's name on his navel right above his pelvic area. And to a point, I don't blame Tammy's reaction. She was angry and irrational and emotional and hated Sydney more, but loved him all the same. It isn't what Tammy did to Sydney that makes her irredeemable. It was what she was doing and what she was about to do to a 20-year-old girl who had made a mistake. On November 5th, the last time that anyone can confirm that Heather saw Sydney, presumably right before or right after, she sent a retweeted joke on Twitter. Hey, married fellas, you can either cheat on your wife or murder her, never both. That's when you get caught. And one can only assume that Tammy saw this. Tammy was essentially stalking Heather by this point, incensed by the very existence of Heather herself. So it would only make sense that she would have seen the tweet. But all the same, Sydney, Tammy, and their children left South Carolina 14 days later on November 19th for a holiday trip to Disneyland. The Moore family returned on December 11th, and it seemed that this time of absence from the constant harassment and pressure from Tammy and the tension of having Sydney around, where Heather could see him at any moment. Well, it had done Heather some good. She seemed to be getting over her relationship with Sydney. She started going to church regularly with her roommate and best friend Brianna, and she had just started a brand new job at a beauty parlor. It was a little clean slate, one where she hoped Tammy wouldn't come knocking and harassing her any further. But there was also another change in Heather Elvis's life. Heather, who had always been slender and petite, strutting around in her tilted kilt uniform, had gained weight. Baby weight. Her ex-manager and co-workers at the tilted kilt stated that her uniform had gone up three bra sizes and that Heather had expressed worries that she might be pregnant, and with Sydney's baby no less or at least she thought it was most likely his. She had expressed that she'd taken a pregnancy test, which had neither confirmed nor denied her status, only stating error on the strip. Even without confirmation, rumors began swirling and spreading. It was only a matter of time until Tammy found out. Mentally unhinged, angry, incensed, ruthless, vindictive Tammy, who would stop at no ends to punish Heather. 
It was now mid-December, and the holidays were right around the corner. Brianna, whose family lived in Florida, left to go spend the holidays with her family, leaving Heather all alone in her apartment in Carolina Forest. And on December 17th, Heather texted Brianna. Heather was heading out on her first date with a man she'd met named Steven Scaraldi, and she was excited. It was her first date since her breakup with Sydney. It was finally feeling as if life was moving forward for her. Heather was excited and probably a little anxious as she put on her makeup and dressed up for the evening. Stephen was cute and funny and she was excited to delve into what might, or at least she hoped might be, a more appropriate relationship. At 10pm, Stephen arrived and Heather came down from her apartment and jumped into the passenger seat. Stephen and her drove to go look at extravagant Christmas lights in an upscale residential area as people in their early 20s on dates in mid-late December tend to do. After they were done with that and had their fill of the holiday spirit, Stephen drove Heather to a parking lot, where he spent the next while teaching her how to drive manual stick, and Heather, presumably having fun, even had Stephen take a picture of her behind the wheel to send to her father. As the night came to a close, Stephen dropped Heather off at home, It was late into the night as the car came to a stop in front of her apartment building at roughly 1.15am, and the two said goodnight. I'm not sure if they kissed goodnight or not, but after parting ways, having had an enjoyable night, Heather walked up into her apartment building, and Stephen headed home. Meanwhile, at 1.19am, four minutes after Stephen had dropped off Heather, and some distance away, Sydney Moore was seen on CCTV footage at Walmart buying a pregnancy test. 20 minutes passed, and it was almost 2 a.m. in the morning, when Heather received a phone call from a payphone which lasted five minutes. As soon as the foreboding payphone call ended, Heather called Brianna, who was in Florida with her family. Heather explained that Sydney had just called her and told her he was planning to leave his wife Tammy and wanted to meet up with Heather. Brianna told Heather not to go meet him, pleaded and begged her not to fall back into the drama which was the Moore family, but it didn't seem to convince Heather. The call from Sydney Moore, as well as the call to Brianna, were extremely upsetting to Heather, as you can imagine. The scab of an old relationship being poked and picked at. So at 2.29 a.m., Heather's phone attempted to call the payphone back, which Sydney had used to call her, but there was no answer. Heather, or rather Heather's phone, was pinged at Longbeard's Bar in Carolina Forest within the half hour following her failed call to Sydney. Then at 2.57am, Heather, or like I said before, Heather's phone, headed down a road named Augusta Plantation Drive. But it seemed she, or rather her phone, changed their mind for some unknown reason and decided to turn around and return to Longbeard's bar and restaurant. Roughly 20 minutes later, at 3.16am, while supposedly leaving the bar, Heather's cell phone attempted to call Sydney directly on his cell phone, a cell phone which she knew Sydney didn't have control over. 
the same phone which Tammy had password protected and with her at all times. But she got no answer. Once Heather arrived home, back at her apartment, all alone, she tried to call Sydney's cell phone again, but this time, the call connected and lasted four minutes. The GPS pings on the cell phones placed Heather at her apartment and Sydney at his home. At roughly 3.30 a.m. in the morning, Heather's phone took a trip to a secluded area in Myrtle Beach, known as the Peach Tree Boat Landings. It was at the same time that Heather's phone was pinged as being at Peach Tree Boat Landings that a CCTV camera recorded a dark Ford F-150 coming from the direction of the Moore home toward the same boat landing that Heather's cell phone was being pinged at. This was later confirmed as Sydney's new truck. At the same time, roughly 3.30 a.m., Heather's phone attempted to call Sydney's phone yet again, but there was no answer. Then the phone tried the call again, and again, and again. And then at 3.42, all activity on Heather's phone stopped for good. At 3.47 a.m., the same CCTV camera that had recorded the truck driving to the Peachtree boat landings recorded the same truck headed back towards the Moore home. The sun rose and the world seemed no different than the day before for Heather's father. But as it got later and later in the day, and he was unable to get in contact with her, he became worried and he contacted the police instead who quickly discovered Heather's car at the Peachtree Boat Landings, the same place it had been parked that night, or rather, earlier that morning. The car was a mess, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Heather Elvis was young and on the move, constantly going from her home to her parents' home to her friend's home and then to work. Luckily, Heather's father had an extra set of keys and decided to drive Heather's car home. But shame on the police for allowing him to do so. Because in driving the vehicle home, Heather's father destroyed any evidence at what would later come to be suspected as a possible crime scene. Time stops for no one, and the day continued its path into night, and still no sign of Heather. Police began contacting her friends and co-workers trying to put together Heather's last known whereabouts, which quickly took them to Stephen, her date from the previous evening. But he was quickly cleared as a suspect, and police moved into a more formal search of the area surrounding the boat landing, but found no sign of Heather, and then police searched and dragged the riverbed. And still no sign of Heather. Investigators eventually found out about the drama surrounding her previous relationship with Sidney and discovered that he had been in contact with Heather the night of her disappearance. So Sidney and Tammy were brought in for formal questioning. When was the last time you talked to her before that three or four minutes? Probably end of October, beginning of November, right in there somewhere. So you had talked to her Oh, no. It was like well before, because we went to, on vacation. It was well before we went on vacation. And there was nothing. The last thing. No contact or anything? Yeah, there was the last thing that was sent or anything was she sent a period to me and that was it. And that was through text messages yeah. or phone calls? Yeah, and I didn't. Did she normally text or call? Usually it was text. Because mm -hmm. you can delete them. 
a little easier? Or Well, no, that's just usually the way we talk. Cause when did your wife find out that that was kind of going on? Well, about the end of October. End of October. Okay. Now, um... And she asked, what do you want to do? And, I mean, at first, I didn't tell her what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Had she ever and, met her? No. Never seen her, never met her? Nope. And then the following day, I told my wife what was going on, and my wife actually talked to her, and they had planned a meeting. And she didn't show up for the meeting. Mm-hmm. How'd she start a relationship? Just uh, a couple or? of the girls that said, "Hey, you know, Heather had a dream about you, like a nasty dream or something." And I'm like, "Okay, good." And then, you know, I would go on about my business, and like two or three times that kind of happened. And then, you know, we just kind of sort of got, we would talk a little more every time in person. And mm-hmm. then she started calling me, mm-hmm. um, and I still don't know how she got my phone number, but she started calling me. And this is and around. Kind of led on. Do you think? Summer? Mid-September or somewhere Mid-September. Near, maybe. Okay. Um, so she started texting or calling in. You could have yeah. called her back. I mean, she's a young, pretty girl. Yeah. You know. Um, and she was interested in... There was a phone call made to Heather that night from a payphone at the gas station on 10th Avenue. Okay. But we have video from that. Okay. Did you try calling her? Just a minute? No. A second? You sure? Maybe. Okay, how about we start again? I, I did. I called her. From okay, the phone. let's okay. start from the start again. Because I, I, I don't, the, I don't whole, know you. You don't know me. I, don't I know. Know. In the whole story, everything's legit. Okay. okay. Let's go call back to the part where it's not being legit. And okay. From the well, no, I didn't call her on the payphone. Okay. And what did you say? I asked her to please leave me alone because she had been leaving notes on her car when I would be. I was at work. To call so, and say, leave me alone to a woman yes. who hasn't contacted You need to start over. Yeah, let's start over. Because that ain't, that, ain't, that ain't flying, boss. But you don't, you guys don't understand. I had boyfriends. We had an open marriage. Okay. That's okay. I don't, I, I could care less if he had sex with a hundred people. Okay. All right. I mean, that doesn't really, it doesn't bother me. So, so I mean, this girl, I, I can tell you just by, as an outsider looking at the Twitter, which I didn't know existed until all this went down, she's not right. She's not normal. I was 20. I, I partied with bands constantly. I wasn't that kind of girl. And believe me, I had the friends to make me that kind of girl, and I didn't do it. Every time a question would be asked of the two, it seemed their story was changing. And if what they were telling police was the truth, then it shouldn't have. No, Sidney hadn't called Heather from the payphone. Oh, actually, yes, he had. No, they hadn't seen Heather, didn't even know she was there at the boat landing. Oh, yeah, she was there, but it was a complete coincidence. We were only driving around to get naughty in our car in a secluded place. Back and forth, the stories changed over and over. In February, Heather had been missing for two months, and by that time, Sydney had placed multiple complaints with the local police department regarding the harassment him and his wife were receiving from the community. Supposedly, people were shooting at him and his family while they drove in their vehicle, and his family pets had been mutilated and killed. But there was never any proof that anything had actually happened to the Moore family. Tammy Moore took to social media to state her displeasure with the supposed harassment painting herself to be the victim of corrupt police work. But this mischaracterization and rallying of the troops by Tammy, the saint of all that is decent and rational, it didn't stop what police were about to do next. 
later that same month, police executed a search warrant of the Moore's home. The house was a disgusting mess. Trash was strewn about, their floors were dirty and the furniture was musty, and the smell of sour milk filled the air. As a side note, police also found quite the stash of guns as well. Investigators were also able to recover security camera footage of Sydney and Tammy cleaning out their brand new dark-colored Ford F-150 just a few days after Heather had gone missing. The search warrant took 11 hours to execute from the time police arrived to the time that they were arresting both Sydney and Tammy Moore on the charges of murder, kidnapping, and obstruction of justice, as well as two counts each of indecent exposure for the naughty little photos on their phones taken in public places. In early 2015, Tammy and Sydney Moore were able to post bond and were released from jail, and Heather's family were understandably upset about this development. Apparently, the ones who were actually being harassed were Heather's family, who were receiving death threats and general harassment from the supporters of the Moore family, who had been whipped up in a frenzy online by clearly misleading and biased misrepresentation of reality on the part of Tammy, who had cooked up a conspiracy that claimed her innocence. And the gears of corrupt police work and Heather's family working against them. Not surprising if you've spent any time on Facebook, was the fact that many people actually stood behind Tammy's claims and believed her character assassination of Heather on social media. Tammy had reduced her to a psychotic stalking homewrecker who would stop at nothing to break up her and her family. It seems if you say anything from a position of authority and with enough emotion you're bound to convince at least a vocal minority of absolute and utter lies. A requirement of the court for Tammy and Sydney to be released on bail was the agreement that they be monitored by GPS bracelets at all times and to stay five miles away from the Elvis family home at all times. And under no circumstance were they to interact with Heather's family on Facebook nor were they allowed to encourage their fervent followers to do so either. Then, in September 2015, the court allowed the Moore family to relocate for Sydney's new job down in Florida while the case was still pending. It started to feel like things were stalling, like the book was closing on the case, that Heather would forever remain a missing person and no justice would be done. But a year and three months later, on June 26th, the trial for the kidnapping of Heather Elvis began. This first trial was against Sydney, and the trial allowed the court to hear every little detail, and the press were able to release the details to the community that had been reading Tammy's posts. And most of these little details had been left out of Tammy's public service announcements online. While their followers online were still sure of their innocence, the jury wasn't as convinced. But after deliberating for 11 hours, the jury was hung, with 10 in favor of prosecution and two holdouts. The trial was called as a mistrial, and Sydney and Tammy were free once more to continue their campaign of misinformation on Facebook. Then, a year and a month later, in July 2017, 
the trial for obstruction of justice began, which was due to Sydney's early denial of ever making the payphone calls. It was revealed to the court that Sydney was calling from a payphone because the SIM card was removed from his cell phone to avoid being tracked. But he was innocent, right? Facebook clearly said he was innocent, so he must be. That's how it works. Well, no. No, that isn't how it works at all, creeps. But you know that, right? The jury was not hung this time. In fact, the jury was unanimous and Sidney Moore was sentenced to 10 years in prison, the maximum sentence for the offense. And when it was all said and done, after too many trials altogether, Tammy and Sydney were also both charged with the kidnapping of Heather Elvis. Sydney and Tammy have both maintained their innocence, and Heather was never found. We suspect Tammy and Sydney are responsible for her disappearance due to the overwhelming circumstantial evidence. But we don't know. And Heather Elvis, well, her case is still an open missing persons case. So, creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors.